This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. It's been all about, really for the last, since October 7th, all about Israel at war. When will it start? Will it be a two-front war? And what will our role be as, uh, to the stunning surprise, I don't know, to me, that so many people are pro-Hamas, pro-Palestinian around the country and around the world, even in New York City. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Peter Lerner is going to be with us today. He is kind of calling us, uh, he's the... IDF, uh, you know he's with the IDF spokesperson, obviously an officer, and he's going to be joining us from Tel Aviv. And Michael Allen is standing by, a former special assistant to George W. Bush, National Security Council, uh, and so much more. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. How could he possibly turn the tide on this? I think he can. I think that same pressure people realize that you can't keep playing games. I mean... I think from the perspective, we let Jim as the nominee, let him work through this. Yeah. I don't know if he's being serious or not. Speaker McCarthy, round two. Worse than round one for Jim Jordan and his quest to be speaker. He lost more than he got. It looks like they will spin their wheels again for round three. What is going on with this party? What is going on with this body? Number two. President Biden, not all Americans with you on this one. And you need to wake up. Yeah, she's an embarrassment to the country, but maybe not to her district in Michigan, Rashida Tlaib. Anti-Israel protests crop up around the globe. She led one in Washington, and especially here in the U.S. and around the country. How clueless are these clowns who really believe that there's a Hamas side and an Israel side and they're equal? Number one. Did you find Bibi receptive to the humanitarian argument you made? And yes. Was, was there any pushback from him or you felt that? I don't know what you picked up in Israel, but I got no pushback. The world waits to see if a ground war will begin in Gaza and if Hezbollah will go all in in the north as the Biden administration commits 100 million for aid to Palestinians as long as they don't give it to Hamas. Is that the most naive thing you've ever heard in your life? With me right now is Michael Allen knows the reality of dealing with terror organizations and we usually don't. Michael, welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me. So, listen, everybody does, every, nobody wants an innocent family to suffer, be uprooted from their house, especially in a region where 80% live in poverty. But is it naive to think we can pour $100 million into an area and not give it to the people that are in charge? We have to be very careful if Biden goes through with this because I think Hamas dominates the Gaza Strip. Yeah. They will figure out ways to control the humanitarian assistance and meet it out themselves because that's their strategy. They want to be the caretakers of the people. They want to keep their people down and unhappy so that they're resentful and willing to attack Israel. So we need to be very careful if indeed this goes forward. So the reporter asked, you know, how do you know it's not going to go to Hamas? Here's what he said, cut five. 
if Hamas confiscates it or doesn't let it get through, just confiscates it, then it's going to end because we're not going to be sending any humanitarian aid to Hamas if they're going to be confiscated. That's the commitment that I've made. Are we going to put Apple tags on it? Uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, we got Egypt putting, I think, a lot of trucks in there of humanitarian aid. I get it. They just have allowed that in. I understand it. But for now, we cannot let money fly into there. It turns into guns. It makes no sense. And let's keep that that radio clip there, because I believe we'll have to try to keep Biden to it. Can you imagine, even if we had a dead to rights on video, I still think Biden would find a reason to not cancel the humanitarian assistance going in, because that's sort of his record. He's more along the lines of I can get people to cooperate with me through carrots, but that doesn't work with terrorist organizations. It doesn't work with state sponsors of terror. And so I think we got to hold his feet to the fire. Michael, with everything that you've done uh, uh, in Congress and in the House, uh, in the presidency, uh, in and around there, this is a unique challenge. I mean, here we are in a modern young Kipper Day war where the instead of being attacked by nations, they're being attacked by terrorists. But again, Israel's fighting for their survival. Clearly, we're all in with Israel. I did not expect this type of pushback from in major cities, in college campuses, and around the world. Did you? I thought it would come, but not this soon. I thought it would be a couple of weeks. I know that these people who hate Israel are out there. They use terms like apartheid. But it happened so quickly. I mean, it wasn't 48 hours after the bloodshed began when there were protests on college campuses in the United States and across Europe, I knew the Arab street, the so-called Arab street, would get out there and support Hamas. But I'm so shocked and embarrassed that so many Americans have turned their back on Israel and have justified this bloody killing of innocent families. Uh, here's what, So yesterday the president gave a speech in Tel Aviv, and he talked about not making the same mistakes we made after 9-11 – uh, basically, don't get uh, don't get so angry and overreact. Here's what Ari Fleischer said to that message, uh, former press secretary during the Bush years. Cut twelve. You know, when he said that Israelis should not be consumed by rage, who the hell does he think he is? I sat in on every single summit meeting with foreign leaders when they came to the United States after September 11th and met with President Bush. Not a one of them. Not one said to President Bush, the Americans shouldn't be consumed with rage. Instead, they just came to support us. So President Biden, who said some good things, never should admonish or lecture Israel about how to react like that. And he sat in on the war meetings uh, yesterday. So what's your reaction, Mike? Well, I mean, I'm offended. That's ridiculous. Of course they need to be full of rage, and they should channel that rage into taking out the two, at the very least, the two terrorist organizations in the Gaza Strip. And this may grow into a northern front war with Hezbollah, another Iranian-backed terrorist organization. But just as a general proposition, the idea that anybody should lecture a world leader who has just suffered one of the worst terrorist attacks, one of the worst military attacks on their territory ever – is insulting, and, and Biden really needs to clean that up. So how would you handle this? If, if you were a part of a White House that wanted to support Israel, obviously, what would be the best way to do it? Well, first of all, I think Biden has rhetorically been pretty good about, hey, the United States yep. stands with Israel. So that's fine. 
I wouldn't have lectured the Israelis in the way we just talked about. I wouldn't have lectured them on don't occupy Gaza. I wouldn't try and restrict or clip their wings, and, and I would try to be expanding the options that the Israelis have. I think we should also be figuring out through a complete review of what U.S. policy towards Iran is. This should bring us back down to the basics. Iran is a state sponsor of terrorism. They're a revolutionary regime that wants to export their ideology, at least across the Middle East. And we need to revamp our entire policy. It's been way too many carrots, not enough sticks. They have not, they, Obama and now Biden, mm. have not implemented and enforced the sanctions regimes that the U.S. Congress has passed over many, many years. That needs to be reversed as soon as possible, and we need to get serious about what Iran is doing on terrorism, to say nothing of what they're probably doing that we haven't caught them yet on the nuclear file. Yeah, I mean, there is a report that they're hoping that our focus on Israel's response and the Hamas survival and the ground war will allow them to finish the job and get there and sell a nuclear weapon. And MBS turned around in Saudi Arabia and says, yeah, if they get one, I'm getting one. So, exactly. So we could do both, right? We, we could do both. We could support a ground war against Hamas, and we could still police their nuclear program by sanctioning the elements they need to finish it. Yeah, and and we should see this as a diplomatic opportunity, by the way. We should be going to the European Union and to our friends in Asia, who we need to help enforce oil sanctions against Iran, and say to them, these are the true colors of the Iranian regime. They are state sponsors of terrorism. They are sponsoring murder and bloodshed in Israel. They are trying to assassinate U.S. officials in the continental United States. They are not averse to trying to kill their enemies who may or may not be in Europe. We all need to stand together. Let's, at a minimum, enforce these sanctions. Let's ramp up covert action to try and derail the nuclear program. And basically, we need to stand up against this regional threat, which is the Middle East. Now, we all want to work on Asia, and we need to do more. And the Ukraine thing is a serious uh, thing also because of Russia. But we're the United States. We're the superpower. If we're not paying attention to one of these critical regions in the world, bad things happen, and we need to reengage. And Jake Sullivan said two weeks before this actual attack, the Middle East hasn't required much of my attention as it does my predecessors, and we see what happened there. Not blaming him for the attack, but they basically told you the focus was not on that. Uh, yeah, so, so Mike Allen, our guest. And, Mike, just to read some of your background, uh, this is why you're so valuable. Special Assistant to uh, Bush 43, former Majority Staff Director, House Permanent Select Committee on Intel, and Managing Director of Beacon Global Strategy. So you got the economic, you got the intelligence, and you got the White House background, which brings us to Iran and the president's speech tonight. He doesn't mention Iran. Now, there might be a tactic to that, but knowing that he's been, as you mentioned, too many carrots and not enough sticks, my sense is it's almost fear. I don't want to bring this up. I'll bring in my the Eisenhower. I'll bring in the Gerald Ford. I'll bring in a third carrier, send the message in the Gulf, but I don't want to say anything. If, I, if, if he asked you to, to help him with his speech, with the content, how do you phrase it, knowing you don't want to start a world war, but also knowing that Iran's the problem? Well, I think the aircraft carriers are helpful because they're sending a message to Iran that if you unleash Hezbollah from Lebanon 
into the northern part of Israel, the so-called Second Front, you were going to have a big problem with the United States. I don't know that the Iranians expected us to step up this way. They may have miscalculated U.S. support for Israel, given how bad things have been between the Biden administration yes. and Bibi Netanyahu. But if I were advising the president tonight, I would definitely mention Iran and talk about them as a state sponsor of terrorism and warn them from future sponsorship of these types of attacks. If he doesn't mention Iran tonight, that is a huge missed opportunity. In fact, it's just sort of negligent. It, it would not be presenting these issues faithfully to the American people. And that's key. Don't talk to us like we're children. Uh, and don't talk to us to manipulate us. Lay it out. And that's one thing 43 always did. Uh, $100 billion he's going to ask for. And he's going to say $10 billion is for Israel. $60 billion is for Ukraine, Taiwan, and the border and other neighbors who are threatened by China. Now, I know Ukraine is not as popular. I think it's necessary. I fundamentally believe that Russia has to lose there. I see the ramifications if we don't, but I understand the frustration people have because we're doing just enough for them to survive, not to win. So the $100 billion will be the ass tonight. Your thoughts about how to do it? I think we as conservatives ought to look at this as the Stand Tall America Act. We're in a unique period in world history where we have a rising China, a resurgent Russia, and a terror regime in the Middle East that's terrorizing our allies. I think this is no time for us to turn our back on our obligations in the world because you know what happens when the United States isn't around. World wars happen. Two have happened in Europe. Putin will move forward through Ukraine in a couple of years unless the Ukrainians are able to stop him, and he will threaten NATO, and we will have to put hundreds of thousands of troops in Eastern Europe to try and deter him from moving forward. That will allow us to take our eye off the ball and give a green light to Xi Jinping to take over Taiwan in 2027. That's the plan. That's what they want to happen. We need to go ahead and strangle Russia in the crib, let the Ukrainians do the work. Also, we need to begin to set the theater in Asia to deter China from taking over Taiwan. So I hope the U.S. Senate, I know Senator Sullivan and a lot of great conservatives there are trying to insist that we put some money in for Taiwan and for our Indo-PACOM troops in the area so that we can build up deterrence in Asia so that Xi Jinping wakes up every day and says, ah, you know what, this is not a good idea for me to invade Taiwan. So the problem is production, Mike Allen. Evidently, we cannot make weapons fast enough that they wrote the check two years ago, and we're not doing the best we can to make Taiwan a porcupine that China can't beat. They want to spend. We're not able to produce. Is that, uh, how is that possible, and how have we not been unable to, to ramp up production since? Well, the one silver lining of all the Ukraine aid is that they are beginning to but look, it is a failure of the Biden administration. Their defense budgets have been pathetic and puny. They have not kept up with the inflation that Biden has caused, and people have noticed. We need to be able to pump more money into the defense industrial base. By the way, that means jobs for the United States. Yes. But it also means that we will be able to deter our enemies from fighting 
all across the globe. So this is a good news story for the United States. We need to stand tall. We need to get it done. There's too much bureaucracy at the Department of Defense. There's not enough action, folks, to get these people on contract. we got to move faster. I haven't been to China, so having said that, everything I read, all the people I've talked to, they are having huge problems economically, and and the future does not look bright. And they're pouring their money into their defense. Am I to think that they're not feeling that right now? Oh, they are definitely fueling their military. They have been growing in a double-digit way for many, many decades. They are coming after us. They want to displace us from the region. They said it yesterday. What's that? They said it yesterday. Yeah, arguably they can already hold at bay a lot of our naval assets from the South China Sea. And they want to be able to dominate the region economically. That is the real rub for the United States. If it, my, my, my family sitting gotcha. at home in Alabama may be wondering why in the world would we care about Taiwan. The reason is is that it's the most economically Mike? dynamic place in the world. And they have and our it. chips. Then we need them. Mike Allen, thanks so much. Invaluable information. Back with you in a moment. It's Brian Kilmeade. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my (laughs) name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Yeah, I just, uh, I went a little long and I feel bad about that because it was just so interesting to talk to Mike Allen. There's so many moving pieces. The one thing that bothers me, I don't I don't really think it was necessary for the president to go over. I would feel the same way if Trump went over and they'd be killing him for doing that. How dare you put yourself in harm's way? And then for, for Jordan and Egypt to blow him off of them and the Palestinian Authority, I seem to be the only one that bothers as an American, that bothers me, especially when, the, when now the foreign secretary of the U.K. is meeting with all these people. And then the reason why they didn't meet was, was totally erroneous, that the Israelis blew up a hospital. They didn't blow up a hospital. So the minute it became clear and everything was – all the evidence was provided, guys like King Abdullah, no. All right, clearly they didn't do it. Plus, if they did do it, it's the fog of war, a war that was perpetrated on them by a terrorist attack. So having done that, they didn't reverse it. So he comes in and out. And one of the things they did is he sat in on their war council meetings. I think that's a little bit insulting. Number two, held off an invasion possibly because you don't want to do that with the president here. And number three, you're going to give $100 million of aid to the, to the Palestinians, but you're, not going to, you're going to make sure they don't give it to Hamas. And if you do, you're going to take it away. Come on. Aid is aid. You don't give money. 
You give blankets, MREs, you give necessities, medicine. You want to do that? All right. You know, if uh, if a Hamas terrorist gets some Bactine, I'm okay with that. But if he gets some cash, that's not okay. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. The hospital bombing was being talked about in the Arab world on Arab media within minutes of, 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 of it happening. It didn't need Hamas uh, to uh, encourage the conclusions. And uh, frankly, talking to Arab sources uh, yesterday, uh, it was like uh, the lid coming off a pressure cooker. I mean, I think that to some extent, we just didn't notice that MB- MBS in Saudi Arabia kept Anthony Blinken waiting. We haven't necessarily understood enough the level of anger in the Arab world. And the Jordanians, I think, frankly, had no choice but to call that summit off. And I'll tell you why. Because Arab leaders are very, very worried about um, the Arab street, about people coming out into the streets from Cairo to Beirut, because many of them remember the Arab Spring. Uh, That's Keir Simmons, uh, the NBC chief intelligence correspondent. They had no choice but to call it off. Know what you do? You make a speech saying, we just looked at intelligence, talked to Israeli intelligence, or got the trans- uh, the intercepts ourselves. The Islamic Jihad basically admitted to it. I'll provide it. The President of the United States is in Israel, and I told him, uh, we're going to either Zoom together or he's going to be coming by. And that's it. Be a leader. You're the, you're the king. you got the army. Uh, I owe it to America. I'm very westernized. All my friends are from Hollywood. I'm King Abdullah, whatever that means. And i got to have a meeting with the people that are providing billions of dollars for my uh, for my economy, I'm pretty sure for free. I'm not sure what we get for that. Lieutenant Colonel Peter Lerner joins us now, an IDF spokesperson. Colonel, uh, welcome back. It's Brian Kilmeade here. Uh, your thoughts about this whole hospital bombing and what's happened since? Hi, Brian. Well, obviously, the 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 explosion in the hospital uh, was a mass media manipulation organized and orchestrated by Hamas amplified by traditional media, social media, uh, beyond expectation. And even when we came forward with the truth that you most very eloquently um, introduced, uh, some people didn't accept it. Um, This is the challenge we face in the modern battlefield of a a media-saturated, social media-saturated operating environment. Uh, It means that we are going to have to defeat Hamas, not only on the battlefield, but also in the field, on the, on the field of public opinion. So we've had reporters go out because we cannot believe the amount of pro-Hamas Palestinian rallies. And they just don't believe it. Oh, that the Israelis make things up or you guys aren't telling the truth. And they don't even see a mic flex. They're not even condemning Fox or if they don't even know if we're CNN, Fox or a local affiliate. And they're just coming out. They just don't believe it. And here's an example there's this group called Jews, Jewish Voice for Peace yesterday at the Capitol. This is one of the protesters. Cut 21. We're here today as Jews, as U.S. Jews, to say ceasefire now, to say stop the genocide that's happening against Palestinians. Um, we are here to say that as personally, uh, as an American Jew, my government sends almost $4 billion a year to the Israeli military and government right now. Uh, there's an imminent genocide about to happen, and we are called. So you understand what she's saying. I mean, I know you must be shaking your head uh, in Israel right now, but what do you say to someone like Danny Noble, a Jewish voice for peace? I would say, you know, unfortunately, people use 
terms that they have no idea about. They're very, very emotional and uh, connected to principles that, that have very little real information. And um, unfortunately, there is a movement that, is, that it surrounds them. And, and that, that is, you know, that's a challenge that we face. However, you know, as a military spokesperson, our role is to fight the battle. And, and we are facing it head on, taking out Hamas leaders as we speak. Um, uh, and, and indeed, this is the, 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 the ripple effect that, that people and some people that don't like the fact that we can defend ourselves, or I would say it's not can defend ourselves. We have no choice but to defend ourselves from the butchers of babies in their bedrooms. Um, and we will. You know, and it, I, I would say we will, we listen to our our friends, our allies, and we also listen to criticism. But we are determined to defeat the enemy. What was the president doing in your war meeting yesterday? Obviously, I'm not on the political echelon, Brian. I mean, I, would, no, but, I wouldn't be in that, and I would not right. talk about it. But you know, we we were, I think. You know, when Israeli society is looking at the, the friendship and the alliance between Israel and America uh, and the U.S. and our our military to military relations, and we are emboldened and and, and you know, very grateful for the support and friendship. Um, and yes, we will move forward with that support and friendship. But my problem is, you guys know your neighborhood. Nobody has to tell the Israelis how to fight your enemies. My worry is that politicians will get involved, and being that we're providing so much hardware and support, that you might have no choice. That's my worry. Um, you know, we have, like the U.S. military, we work based on three core components of our operations: uh, distinction, military necessity, and proportionality in warfare. And some, sometimes politicians take these three terms and they mix them up and they haven't got a clue about the military components, exactly. what it actually means. And we will utilize those and we will convey those. And, you know, I, the fact that uh, President Biden uh, took our intelligence, accepted it, and then double-checked it with the U.S. intelligence that confirmed their, with their own analysis, it goes to show we're on the same page. And I think that is the, the strong message we're sending and it's reverberating around the globe and specifically in our uh, um, our neighborhood with Iran and, and Hezbollah up in north. Uh, so, yes, we have a strong alliance. It's very it's built on joint values, shared values, um, friendship, a deep friendship and mm. and the, the 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 will to live. I think you know, we want to live here in freedom and in peace. And I think that is that resonates with so many. And that's why the friendship is strong. And, you know, for even friends sometimes can have disagreements and we know have, have to know how to work through them. And I think that, that we are very, as I said, very grateful for the friendship of, you, right. of the U.S. Right. Uh, to be honest, uh, I thought that you guys, with your great knowledge, could have been more of a help in Ukraine. But you're concerned about the relationship with Russia and they'll have to let you hit these terror groups in Syria. And you didn't want to jeopardize that, it seems. I mentioned that to Benjamin Netanyahu when he was on his book tour. And he said, well, things will change when I get in there. I'm not sure they have, but here's uh, one thing that we are doing. Evidently, the president had his checkbook out. He said, I'm going to give $100 million in humanitarian aid to Gaza, but I'm not going to give it to Hamas. Uh, and here's what he said about that on Air Force One. Cut one. Did you find Bibi receptive to the humanitarian argument you made? And yes. Was, was there any pushback from him or you felt that we no. were getting across? That well, we've had a number of discussions on this. It's not, not no. Look. 
I don't know what you picked up in Israel, but I got no pushback. They got no pushback. What is there a reluctance to give a hundred million dollars to the Palestinians and think Hamas is not going to get any? I think another uh, uh, thing, though, that uh, President Biden also said that it was uh, it's for the civilians of of Gaza, and I would say you know, the people of Gaza are not the enemy of Israel. The enemy is Hamas. It's a terrorist organization that co- conducted and organized, orchestrated and implemented and executed uh, their their attack, their massacre of, of so many thousand, three hundred people, abducting 203. The count is now. Uh, and so, you know, we we appreciate that support and we understand that the, the rules of law and the the the, the, the boundaries and of the laws of armed conflict. Um, that comes with responsibility as well. So I think it fall, actually falls into our joint plan of how to manage the, co- the conflict, the, the war, mm-hmm. uh, at, 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 on one side of the and, – and the other coin and the other side of the coin is basically um, get Hamas, defeat them. Let's change the paradigm. Let's make sure we can limit the civilian casualties, uh, alleviate some of the civilian strife mm-hmm. despite war, um, but Hamas needs to be eradicated. Lieutenant Colonel Peter Lerner with us from, uh, from I think, are you in Tel Aviv? Yeah, I'm in Tel Aviv today. In Tel Aviv. Yeah, so Colonel, yeah. Uh, how many fighters do you think make up the Hamas fighting force? And how many of you think have chosen to leave not to have this fight? Because they like to sneak up on people who are sleeping, uh, children who are playing, uh, Holocaust survivors in wheelchairs. I don't necessarily think they relish fighting you guys. So do you think most of them have left or do you think they want this? Um, I think there are, there's probably a mixture between the two, yeah, yeah, Brian. But there are several tens of thousands of Hamas operatives. But we're not just going over the operatives. We're dismantling the entire system. Uh, so when we take out the Minister of Finance, it's because he finances terrorism. Uh, when we take in out the, the leaders of um, the Nukba force, the, the commander unit of Hamas, then obviously it's because they are the operators. Uh, and we are going to dismantle the entire system. That's the goal uh, uh, as, as far as the government has directed us. Um, so if you are a terrorist, if you have, you know, they, we have all of this um, video footage that they were videoing themselves because they're so proud of their butchery um, from body cams, um, we will get to each and every one of them. They won't be able to hide. I want you to. I talked to Masab Hassan Youssef, whose dad was one of the founding founders of Hamas, and he was a member, and he was imprisoned, and he flipped, became a Christian, and wrote a book about it. Talked to him a few years ago, and then we caught up to him today. Here's what he said: the mission should be about cut eight. I cannot convince uh, the, the entire world of truth. Right now, uh, people are emotional. They hate to see children dying. Even though, you know, Hamas is killing the people at the hospital and we have evidence of that, but they still blame Israel. People can blame whoever they want, you know, but now we have to concentrate. We have to focus. Public opinion is very important, but unfortunately, it's not uh, the time to win the public opinion. It's the time to win the war against the most brutal terrorist organization living today, you know. And later on, when people look back at the situation, they will understand what we were doing. We should not be afraid of the public opinion. We have to explain as much as we can, you know, but now we have to concentrate uh, on our goals. Sounds like good advice. 
Absolutely. I would say, yeah, we're, we're very focused on the operational mission. And, and, yeah, sure, we are communicating, engaging, speaking to everybody, sharing our in- information, bringing forward the facts. Uh, but that won't deter, even when people don't ex- accept it, we will continue to move forward because, we, you know, Brian, we have an alternative. This is a fight for our existence. It's not a rampage for um, uh, retrib- retribution. It's, it, it is a serious, serious thing. And, and what Masai sa- is saying uh, is very, very clear. And, and he has, you know, from first knowledge and first experience, uh, had been on the receiving end of Hamas as a terrorist organization. Um, and of course, he's, he, with his experience from, from within, uh, within the Palestinian society and within Hamas specifically. Um, and and our, our experience, their brutality, their, 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 the blind hate um, and the mercilessness is you know, very, very clear that this cannot never happen again. This can just can never happen again. Um, we have now focused our activities on just receiving this alarm sounding in the north uh, along the border with Lebanon. So I'm just looking at that as that's coming in. But we're, we're, we, we feel that there is a, a serious need to change the paradigm and, and reset the system in Gaza for, I would say, you know, for every, everyone's benefit. Uh, there are 203 Israeli, Israelis and foreign nationals that are being held hostage. There are 2 million Palestinians that are being held hostage by this terrorist organization. So are you worried that the longer you wait to go in, the more there's going to be these protests and push not to? And that, will that play a role, as you're a military guy, will that play a role in the, in the planning and execution? Um, no, the, the land operation, if decided by, by our government, will be in accordance to the operational needs. Um, so mobilization is a, a continuation of the political glo- larger mission. Um, uh, and, and, and we will do that when we are ready, when all of the units have their tasks and uh, um, uh, equipped properly and uh, are, have exactly know what they're supposed to be doing and have the training that we're going through as we speak. Uh, and that, that, I think, is, you know, that will be determined and, and if and when mm-hmm. we'll be prepared to go in strong and to do the, the, the job that we are tasked to do. Your sense right now, the chance of Hezbollah moving in, I know you've got eyes on them. You, you'll see them mobilized. It's hard for them to hide that, even though they hide their rockets in neighborhoods. Your sense, are they, is there a sense that you go, in, you go south uh, into Gaza and they'll come in to start hitting you guys in the north? Uh, yeah, we're preparing for that possibility. Um, so there is a sense that it may happen. Uh, we're sending a very clear message that has, to Hezbollah not to co- cross that threshold. They've been escalating uh, rocket attacks against us uh, with anti-tank guided missiles over the last uh, several days now. And today we've also had an incident uh, with even with some casualties over the last few days. Um, we are responding, uh, striking Hezbollah, uh, killing their operatives when they come and try and infiltrate into, our, into Israel. So we are killing them as on en route. But, uh, yes, we're telling Hezbollah, look how we are dismantling Hamas. You don't want to go there. And we're sending an even more, I would say, stronger message to the government of Lebanon. Uh, this is your territory. You take care of your business. Otherwise, you're also going to be, pay for it. Um, 
this is the situation with is very fragile. Obviously, Iran is behind everything um, uh, that's going on, and and uh, and there's a, a question there about to what extent. But they have invested extensively in the terrorist infrastructure in mm-hmm. uh, in Lebanon, in Gaza, in the region. Um, and so, yeah, we need to be prepared. We need to understand Iran is pulling the strings there. There is an interest to try and challenge us mm-hmm. as we focus on Gaza. Uh, but, we, you know, what? we have the forces to fight on a two-front war if we need to or a multi-front war. You're not going to be afraid to do more. it. Yeah. Colonel, thanks so much. Appreciate yeah. it, uh, especially as you're getting warning signals. You still kept it, kept it going here as the alarm went off. Yeah. Uh, Colonel Peter Lerner from Tel Aviv, thanks so much. Eyes uh, with the IDF. We're back with your calls in a moment. Brian Kilmeade Show. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. As you know, President Biden, the U.S., they take the position that this was not an Israeli strike, but the result of other Palestinian militants. Do you believe that to be the case? Sir, uh, nobody's buying that, that narrative in this part of the world. Uh, uh, the, the, uh, in reality, the Israeli army is, not, army is not very credible in this part of the world as well. The only way that people would entertain a different narrative is if there is an independent international inquiry into, 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 into what the tragedy that has happened uh, with impeccable evidence that it was, uh, it was not Israel. So that's, uh, that's what we're up against, Jordan's foreign minister, talking about how Israelis clearly hit that hospital, even though uh, we saw it on Al Jazeera. The first time I saw it was on Twitter, X, uh, on Al Jazeera. I said, what does Al Jazeera have this? And I saw the headline that said it looks like it came from Islamic Jihad. So Al Jazeera, the number one Arab network in, uh, in the Middle East, was saying that this was done by Islamic Jihad and Aaron Missile. They also have the intercepts of them talking back and forth about the Aaron shot. It came from the cemetery, hit the hospital. It didn't even hit the hospital, by the way. It hit the parking lot and portions of the hospital. Having said that, the war was started by Hamas. The brutality is off the charts. If they hit a hospital, which they didn't, it would be by mistake. If Hamas hits a hospital, it'll be the goal. Fundamentally, that's the big difference between these two sides. A humanitarian strike against defenseless people is bad for Israel, and it's the goal for Hamas. From the Fox News radio studios in midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. one 408 I come to you from Midtown Manhattan, where there are so many, just four blocks away, there have been a steady series of rallies for the Palestinian slash Hamas. Uh, and there's been some counter rallies by the Israelis, uh, Israeli supporters, which I thought there was a lot of. Uh, but I'm just flabbergasted by the lack of support for Israel, even though they are the victims here. And they're about to uh, go after uh, they're attackers. For some reason, people are having trouble figuring that out. Uh, this hour, we're going to be joined by Senator Marsha Blackburn and Dan Senor. Dan Senor, former foreign policy advisor to Bush, but he has a new book out called The Genius of Israel. Uh, great timing. He has great contacts there. He has two nephews fighting in the IDF, so he's going to be providing the latest insight. And I believe he might, in fact, be in studio. So let's get to the big three. 
Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. How could he possibly turn the tide on this? I think he can. I think that same pressure where people realize that you can't keep playing games. I mean, I think from the perspective, we let Jim as the nominee, let him work through this. That is Kevin McCarthy pretending that round three is going to go better for Jim Jordan than round one and two. Worst, worst than one, uh, Jim Jordan lost more votes than he got as his quest to be speaker. It looks like they will spin their wheels again today. Number two. President Biden, not all Americans with you on this one. And you need to wake up and understand that. We are literally, literally watching people commit to genocide. That is the crazy woman from Michigan, Rashid Tlaib. The anti-Israel protests crop up around the globe, even here in the U.S. And they are not going away. Even in our nation's capital, Rashid Tlaib still holding on to the fact that the Israelis blew up that hospital when it was, in fact, the Islamic Jihad. We all know that. She is clueless. Number one. Did you find Bibi receptive to the humanitarian argument you made? Yes. Was, was there any pushback from him or you felt that we no. were getting across that? I don't know what you picked up, Israel, but I got no pushback. Well, the world waits to see if a ground war will begin in Gaza and if Hezbollah will go all in in the north. As the Biden administration commits $100 million, that's what the president was referring to, for aid to the Palestinians as long as they don't give it to Hamas. Is it possible to have a more naive foreign policy? Let's bring in the senator from Tennessee, Senator Marsha Blackburn. Senator, welcome back. Thank you. Good to join you. Senator, I I don't want to see anybody suffer, especially people living in an area that is 80 percent of which are in poverty. I know that Palestinian people have been asked to move south. Why not give aid? Why give cash when you know Hamas runs everything there will be like mobsters taking it from well-meaning Palestinians who need it? You're right about that, Brian. And Hamas has a history of taking the aid money that goes into Gaza. We've seen it with the U.N. Relief and Works Agency. And, of course, that is one of the reasons President Trump cut funding to that agency. And Joe Biden beefed it up and uh, gave them $730 million dollars. They employ people that are affiliated with Hamas. They store weapons and ammo in uh, relief agency facilities in Gaza. So if you're putting this money into relief to Gaza, it is going to go through the hands of Hamas. Even last week, Hamas was out there grabbing fuel food, medical supplies that were coming into the country. They weren't going to the people. They were going to Hamas fighters. So that's one thing, another difference from the Trump policy. What did Trump do with that aid? What Trump did was to cut that aid. And what he did was to focus on Israel. What he did was helping with Iron Dome, with David Sling, and with the ability for Israel to have what they need to defend themselves. They're our best ally in that region. And it is important that we stay with them. If you're sending money to Iran or sending money to Gaza, that money is going to end up helping Hamas, helping Hezbollah. Iran is the world's largest state sponsor of terrorism. They give Hamas about $100 million a year, plus supplies, equipment, 
ammo, artillery. They give them the things that they need, and they do the same thing for Hezbollah and for the other terrorist organizations that are that function as Iran's proxies. Basically, they do the dirty work that Iran does not want to do. Even if we hit that, even if Israel hit that hospital, it would be by mistake. It would be an error. I remember when the Bosnia war was happening, we hit the Chinese embassy. It wasn't because we wanted to. It was an errant rocket or we had bad maps, whatever the story was. That's never our intention in the West, especially with Israel. It doesn't They know it doesn't work to their benefit uh, to and nor does it help them sleep at night to kill innocent people. But they had nothing to do with this. But to give you an idea of what they're up against, I want you to hear the Jordanian's foreign minister talk on another network yesterday. His name is Ahmed Safadi, cut 19. As you know, President Biden, the U.S., they take the position that this was not an Israeli strike, but the result of other Palestinian militants. Do you believe that to be the case? Sir, uh, nobody's buying that, that narrative in this part of the world. Uh, uh, the, the, uh, in reality, the Israeli army is, not, army is not very credible in this part of the world as well. The only way that people would entertain a different narrative is if there is an independent international inquiry into, 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 into what the tragedy that has happened uh, with impeccable evidence that it was, uh, it was not Israel. So this is what we're up against. That's an intelligent guy, obviously. Jordan has been a loyal uh, ally of ours. The king comes here all the time and goes to movie screenings. But yet we can't get them to meet with our president who goes in the region and they still believe uh, that the video that was put out in Al Jazeera wasn't right and the intercepts that we got weren't correct. And it is so frustrating to see that because, yes, indeed, Jordan has been one of our allies. And when the video, when the phone conversations, when the uh, surveillance from the drones shows where the rocket came from, which was in Gaza, and that it misfired and it landed in that hospital parking lot, caused that fire, caused... um, that tragedy there at that hospital, and then they still do not want to accept that because what would they prefer to do? They prefer to blame Israel. We know that Hamas in their charter states one of their goals is to destroy Israel. When you look at Iran and listen to the Ayatollah, what do does he say the goal is to destroy Israel? And Brian, they are using mm. this occurrence. They are using this strike at Israel. They are using this event to further their goal of removing Israel. And uh, this is something people need to be very clear-eyed about and pay attention to what is actually happening with to Israel and why Israel has the right to defend themselves. And it's why the United States needs to stand in lockstep with Israel. I want you to hear, too, what the problem in Congress is not just the protests that took place in the Capitol yesterday. It's members of Congress like Rashida Tlaib. Okay, I understand she's a Palestinian, but do you understand the intelligence the Pentagon provided, the intercepts and everything we just mentioned? It's not only she tweeted out that Israel did it, and then she goes ahead and heads up a protest where she's speaking, inciting this crazy crowd. Listen to this maniac. Cut 22. People are not going to forget this. And it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not a threat. And that's what's been really painful. 
It's just, just continue to watch people think it's okay to bomb a hospital with children. You know what's so hard sometimes is watching those videos and, and the people telling the kids don't cry. President Biden, not all America's with you on this one. And you need to wake up. And right. You see, he's threatening President Biden, by the way. There's no House speaker to condemn or offer a resolution for it. You have our Pentagon saying this. You even have uh, you have Elon Omar come out and say, listen, what I said, you know, and, and retract her tweet, essentially. How, how is she allowed to keep serving? And if the House had a speaker, if they were organized and tending to regular order business, passing their bills, continuing their investigations, Funding the government, they would have the bandwidth that they could put a censure resolution on the floor and censure uh, Tlaib for what she is out there saying. And the fact that she does not retract that information that she put out, that it was Israel that bombed the the hospital. So you talk about uh, abdicating leadership. Listen to Hakeem Jeffries when confronted. Cut 23. There's two of your colleagues, Congresswoman Tlaib and Omar, who have tweets up saying that Hamas is to blame for the hospital attack in Gaza. Should they delete those tweets? I've been very clear in my position in standing behind Israel as it relates to its right to defend herself against the brutal terrorism of Hamas. So should they delete those tweets? I haven't seen the tweets. We, you could easily say if those tweets are correct, as you characterize them, of course they should be taken down. But he won't even say that. Right. And that's exactly what he should say and show that leadership that is necessary. But, Brian, you know, we are hopeful the House can resolve their issues today, elect a speaker and then get back to regular order. Because as long as the House is in disarray, the American people are not hearing about the missteps that the Biden administration has made with Iran, with their Middle East policy, the confusion that they have given to our allies and our adversaries, how they're perceived as being weak, how that emboldens terrorists. The American people are not hearing that story, and it is not being covered by mainstream media. So I am hopeful they can get their act together and move back to regular business. I hope so, too. It's an embarrassment. But as you try to get majority majority in the Senate, and it looks like it could happen, if you look at West Virginia, look at Montana, uh, you look at uh, would you got a strong candidate in in Rogers in Michigan? You have a lot of people uh, who are going to give a real run of things in Ohio. So if this goes to you, the, the uh, effective po- a run against you guys will be they can't handle leadership. They gave they had a six vote ma- majority. They couldn't even name a speaker. They were fighting with That's each right. other the whole time. That'll hurt the Senate flip. Of course, and we realize that. I think it's why you're seeing. The Senate continue to move forward, trying to fund government, trying to make certain that we get this spending bill to the floor. All of our Republican issues are resolved on this first minibus. We are waiting for the Democrats to choose to move forward. So far, they have not. We hear Mm -hmm. that uh, it is something that 
Leader Schumer would like to see a shutdown. He would also like to have an omnibus so that he can up the spending. So we're fighting against that. Yeah, omnibus would work for him, not for not for the country. So today, right. the president will be speaking tonight, and yes, uh, the president will be speaking, and he is going to be asking for. We understand a hundred billion dollars. $60 billion for Ukraine, the border, and Taiwan, and other, for other nations that need help because of China. $10 billion for Israel. Uh, what, what are you open to this, and what elements are you not? What we want to do is make certain that these issues are debated separately. Israel needs some funding. We understand there is going to be $10 billion for Israel. We hear that the balance of the bill, the other $90 billion, will be used for measures dealing with Ukraine, with uh, Taiwan, and also some money for the border, some immigration and some border dollars that are there. We anticipate that the immigration dollars will be money for the blue cities that have been saying we've got to have help. So this is something that I would not be in support of. What you've got to do is address the root cause of the problems there at that border. Of course, the vice president was supposed to do that. She went down to the border one time, went to the wrong address, never really got out there with the border patrol to see what was actually happening on the ground. So um, why would we be spending money until we can identify what we need? And the Border Patrol says what we need is a physical barrier, better technology where we cannot have a barrier and more officers and agents to deal with the push. We need changes in the asylum process, how someone can apply for asylum and where they can apply for that asylum. We want to make certain when it comes to Ukraine that there is some transparency around that. We have $75 billion that is in the pipeline for Ukraine. So for goodness sakes, let's have some transparency and know where that money Mm. is, where things are in the pipeline, when equipment and ammo is going to be to the front line in Ukraine. Uh, what is happening with humanitarian aid? Did that money actually end up going to the UN instead of directly to Ukraine? Who has had their fingers in that pot? Yep. We're looking for some accountability, accountability on this. Because it hurts Before, the cause, Senator, because we know it's in our interest to stop Russia here. The president's going to exactly. try to explain that tonight, slur his way through his speech. He's got to. He does not have much charisma. Maybe he wasn't born with it, but he used to be a lot better speaker before. Uh, and he's got to tell everyone why it matters. The guys who made the people who are making the biggest pitch are people like you, Lindsey Graham, General Keene, who are talking about what it means in the big picture. But the president just expects the American people just to write checks, and that that's got to stop. It hurts the whole cause. Uh, so he's going to speak tonight, and we'll see where we go from there. Senator Marshall Blackburn, great to talk to you. You too. Take care. All right. one 408 When we come back, we're going to take your calls, and I'll go at BrianKillMe.com. You can write me. Then Dan Sino joins us in studio. Don't move. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. 
Russia and China's narrative is that in various events in the past 20 years, Gulf War, September 11th, the 2008 financial crisis, the uh, chaotic withdrawal from Afghanistan, uh, are all part of the decline of the US. Um, and they will be, when President Xi and President Putin met uh, yesterday, they will be saying to each other, here we go. Here's what's happening in the Middle East. Another event, another marker of the decline of the U.S. And it's for the U.S. president to show that's not the case. Right. And make it clear, uh, it can't be this president. I, I has not done it yet. And that was another this intel expert over on NBC. So uh, pretty effective. Let's go to Jerry in Chicago. Hey, Jerry. Good morning, Brian. Thank you for taking my call. I, uh, I got to get something off my chest. Why is it Every time there's a Democrat in the White House, their heads are so far up their rear ends when it comes to foreign policy that they always make the world a more dangerous place. It seems that, I mean, President Obama, the pullout, remember we had after the surge, uh, Iraq, we had a presence and it was fine. And he decides I'm pulling everybody out. And ends up we get ISIS and Iran comes in. We're actually fighting with Iran to force ISIS out. Remember that? And then we get this enclave. The Russians come back in at the same time and say, we're going to be in Syria. We're just letting you know they knocked on our door in Baghdad. You remember, of course, Benghazi. Remember, we got rid of Gaddafi. He had absolutely no plan afterwards. I mean, people can have bad plans, but no plans was not an excuse. People forget about that. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. And when he said that Israelis should not be consumed by rage, who the hell does he think he is? I sat in on every single summit meeting with foreign leaders when they came to the United States after September 11th and met with President Bush. Not a one of them, not one said to President Bush, the Americans shouldn't be consumed with rage. Instead, they just came to support us. So President Biden, who said some good things, never should admonish or lecture Israel about how to react like that. Dan Senor uh, is with me in studio. I want him to hear that because he used to work with Ari Fleischer in the Bush administration. He's got a brand new book coming out in a couple of weeks called The Genius of Israel. Uh, Dan, I want you to hear that because it really plays to, I don't know what your answer is, but... It struck me that Ari Fleischer was really direct about that. It was kind of odd for President Biden to be sitting in the War Council meeting with Is- with the Israeli uh, uh, military. Because I, I get it. We, we supply with great allies and all this stuff. But the war hasn't even started yet. Yeah. Do we need the great war planner Joe Biden there? And what about the fact that he says in his speech, don't be consumed by rage? Was that, was that um, insulting advice? So first of all, I think, I think it was important that President Biden was there. I think it's been important that President Biden has compared what Israel's up against to ISIS and to the Nazis, because we both know how each of those ended with a U.S. commitment to completely wipe out and eradicate those threats and those menaces on on the Western world. You can't on the one hand and and by the way, and to console these people who are completely shocked and rattled, and it's important for them to know the president and the United States government is standing with them. I cannot tell you, Brian, I have a lot of friends over there. I have a lot of family over there. I have two sisters who live in Israel. My mother lives in Jerusalem. I have nephews who've been called up in the reserves. It's, I have friends who have uh, family members who have been taken hostage. So it's, it's a raw, raw time. Israel feels vulnerable. 
It's the most vulnerable uh, Israel has felt since the Yom Kippur War in 1973. And and so having the President of the United States be there on the ground, I think, sends an important message. That said, of course Israel should be consumed with rage. I mean – Who wouldn't be? Think burning babies, decapitating children, torturing people. I mean, just think for a moment what Hamas did. First, they captured these people, these innocent civilians. Keep in mind, over a thousand of the Israelis were civilians. They weren't in uniform. First, they captured them. Then they tortured them. Then they killed them or raped them. And then they burned them. So their bodies were unrecognizable unless they burned them alive instead of burning them after they actually killed them. Ha- Israel is full of rage, as it should be. That is the natural human response. Yeah. The question is how do you channel that rage? That's the question. Not should you be filled with rage. It's how do you channel that sure. rage? And I believe Israel and Israeli society is coming together in the in the healthiest and most responsible and most resilient way. You mentioned my book, The Genius of Israel. The subtitle of the t- book, Brian, is The Surprising Resilience of a Divided Nation in a Turbulent World, which is we explain why this country is so resilient, how the country comes together, the sense of solidarity in the country. So that rage is being channeled into the most healthy in constructive way. Let me tell you something. Israel did this call up of, of reserves, three hundred to 350,000 reservists called up. The percentage of turnout is 150%, meaning they overshot in the number of reserves they called up because they weren't sure what the turnout yeah. would be. It's 150%. People are showing up more people than they know what to do with and they can deploy. People who are too, who are aged out of reserves are, are showing up saying, I, don't, I know I'm aged out, but I want to be here and I want to be helped. People, retired military are showing up. Civilians, the civilian mobilization to help. The country is angry, but the country is not defeated. So that rage is being channeled into a positive, constructive, as one as positive as one can imagine way, in this, as positive as one could hope for in this environment and, with, and as positive as one could expect it with, given what it's been dealt. So I don't um, – I don't know what he meant. Right. I, yeah. Who knows? Uh, he said that. Well, I mean, put it this way. There's a, the big thing now is how effective has the bombing raid been knowing that there are hostages there? So there are hostages there. You got to be somewhat surgical in a very the densest, most populated area in the in a country 25 miles long and five miles deep. Mm-hmm. So how successful has it been so uh, far? I think they uh, have have been doing the kind of bombing a, a, a military can do before the major war offensive begins. So to the extent that it's pre-clearing uh, a lot of uh, – basically they're trying to take out, among other things, they're trying to take out uh, weapons depots and launching areas that could be a problem for the uh, IDF when it actually goes in, goes in. Uh, they're doing that well. You know, it's been a number of days. I I am a little concerned that they – too long. Yeah, I'm a little worried about that. Because they mean, can get out and they could also plot and plan. They can plot and plan the the, the military personnel that they're the, the military leaders of the, the leaders of Hamas's military wing who they really want to get are you know it gives them time to scatter maybe uh, and um, and it just there's a, a sense of momentum that you may lose now look I think there's internal debates going on in the in the uh, Israeli war cabinet right now to try to figure out uh, 
how to prosecute this war. And, you know, uh, it's a, it's a, there's a, there are disagreements within the war cabinet according to reporting in the Israeli press and according to people I'm speaking to. There are disagreements on what to do next and what to do first. Uh, but and, – and so that's also cause for delay. But um, Because you want to know if, it's, if you should actually push for the northern – uh, the northern front, because this country is mobilized now. They understand the threat. How many more attacks do you need? Do you need something of that magnitude to go off on Hezbollah now? And does if you want to hurt Iran, you'd wipe out Hamas and Hezbollah or diminish them to set them back decades. The, the biggest um, uh, misconception of what Israel deals with is when they refer to it as the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. That is incorrect. It is. It used is, to be. Yeah, it used to be. But 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 the Hamas cause, the Hamas movement, is a proxy for Tehran, and Tehran has a number of proxies. It has Hamas. It has, to some degree, Palestinian Islamic Jihad. It has Hezbollah up in the north, as you mentioned. It's got Syria in Israel's uh, east of uh, Israel. Where Iran's got a huge presence, and Iran has a huge presence. So so all these entities are proxies of Iran. And Israel's got to think holistically about the threat. It's not just about taking out the Hamas threat because Hezbollah in the north, which is just as vile and barbaric as Hamas is in the south, has 10 times the capabilities of Hamas, 10 times the rocket capability, 10 times the personnel. In fact, they're, 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 uh, the Hezbollah militias, their terrorists, are better trained than Hamas because they've spent the last number of years they were deployed in Syria to fight in Israel's uh, mm-hmm. civil war on behalf of Assad. So they're actually better equipped. So Israel's got to think about this holistically in terms of, of what it's dealing with. And, um, it, you know, and Iran is at the center of this. So uh, as it's written, if they take on Hezbollah, buildings will fall in Tel Aviv. I mean, there'll be, there'll be problems. Yeah. Uh, but are you are – you, are you putting are you taking on a war that would be more damaging in five years in ten years, and then are there is going to be right now you do have the public sentiment, and if the world is ever going to be on your side, even though some of them staggeringly are not, there would be now because we see this, so that's what you guys uh that's what they're debating over there. I would talk to Musab Hassan Youssef, whose dad was one of the founders of Hamas. Yeah, son of to, Hamas. Yeah, yeah, he went in went to prison, came back. Yeah, he ends up working for the Israelis. He wrote a book about it. He's now somewhere. I think he's in Virginia area. Here's one of the things he said about the PR war and the need to go in and how lethal these guys are cutting. I cannot convince uh, the, the entire world of truth. Right now, uh, people are emotional. They hate to see children dying, even though, you know, Hamas is killing the people at the hospital and we have evidence of that. But they still blame Israel. People can blame whoever they want. You know, but now we have to concentrate. We have to focus. Public opinion is very important, but unfortunately, it's not uh, the time to win the public opinion. It's the time to win the war against the most brutal terrorist organization living today. You know, and later on, when people look back at the situation, they will understand what we were doing. We should not be afraid of the public opinion. We have to explain as much as we can. You know, but now we have to concentrate. Uh, on our goals. Is he right? Yeah. I mean, it's it's heartening to hear what he says. Uh, I must say, I mean, I, I know his story uh, quite well, and um, his book is, is quite good. And he is, um, I have a lot of Israeli friends who are, have relationships with him. Um, yeah. I mean, by the way, what's interesting is, so he has all these direct ties to Hamas, and he's saying these things. I'm struck by the number of Arab voices in and around Israel 
that are basically saying versions of what he said. So Israel has a large Arab population inside Israel that are citizens of Israel. Okay, they're they're, they're minority. So I wouldn't population. know that. Because I don't really see, you know, I'm not seeing that. I know. <laughs> exactly. Because you're not getting covered here. So there's an Arab population in Israel. They have political parties in the Knesset. They have representation in the top academic institutions in the Supreme Court. They have historically been very critical of Israel, even though they're citizens of Israel. Mm-hmm. Think of them as on the far left of the Israeli political spectrum. And they have mostly been historically sympathetic to the Palestinian narrative and the Palestinian cause even though they're citizens of Israel. For the first time, I've, I've never seen this. They are speaking out as proud citizens of Israel. There's an anchor on one of the major uh, Israeli television broadcasters, a news anchor, Lucy Arash, who's, uh, who I can, I, I've been posting on social media. After this interview, I'll post on, on Twitter and, and, and um, Instagram again just for people who want to see it, the, what she did on television where she, she does her broadcast every night and she's known as a fierce critic of Israeli government policy. And she said, I, I'm going to say something now. She said it in Hebrew. She said, I'm going to say it in English. I'll, I'll put the English clip up on my social media. And she said, I stand with Israel. I'm an Israeli citizen. These people who wage this barbaric attack are not me. Mm-hmm. And I abhor them. And she – and so you, and, and this is like a prominent Arab voice. Is, and, you're is not, it, and it's not getting attention Muslim, over here. Is it a Muslim yeah, voice? Yeah, and you're not, it's not getting attention over here. And so I just think – this, this, yes, you play son of Hamas, but there's, but there's more and more of these voices speaking out, and um, and how could they not? Because many Arabs live in Israel as Israeli Arab I, citizens. They're, they're regular. I was, Dan, sorry, I was struck by citizens. the fact that eighteen thousand work permits people come out of Gaza to work in Israel. I didn't know that. Yeah, eighteen thousand come yeah. through those gates every day. Uh, you know what breaks my heart is if you look at the communities that were were targeted in the south of Israel in the October seventh. Uh, invasion. Many of those communities are secular, white liberal communities. These kibbutzes, the kibbutzim, they're they're peace oriented people. They they actually want to coexist in many cases yeah. with Gaza. There are volunteers from some of the, these kibbutzes who go to Gaza every day to pick up Palestinian children to help bring them to medical centers to get them their dialysis. Whatever. I mean, there's there's these amazing stories. These people, like this woman they're I'm talking about, who does that, she's dead. Or they've been taken hostage. These are the people they attacked. I don't know. But they did do research on how to get them and, uh, and infiltrate military bases. They were on for hours. I saw in the manual they thought this the attack would last three to five minutes. Yeah. And instead it lasted forever. Yeah. And, and that's what is stunning. I don't think you guys can wait. Uh, Israel can wait to the end of the war to figure out what happened. they got to find out now. I, I really think uh, – I know you only have so many resources. That's the problem. But there's got to be somebody on this. We were studying 9-11 while we were yeah. still mobilizing for Afghanistan. You're right. So the, the Israel's got the problem is Israel's as we've talked about earlier smaller. And it's got multi fronts that potentially are opening up. Right. Uh Dan is gonna stick around. Uh his book's coming out uh because he he's I just uh, ironically, no one knew this was gonna happen, obviously. The genius of Israel. If anyone knows what's going on there, he does. A few more minutes with Dan when we come back. Brian Kilmeade show. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade show. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, welcome back. Got a couple more minutes here with Dan Senor. 
Uh, the president's going to address tonight, at which time it would be great if he just addressed Iran as the major problem and talk about how. And what I would love to see, and I know we don't have to do it, uh, I made a decision to try to bring Iran back into this nuclear deal and try to bring them back into the family of nations. It's been an epic disaster. There's a reasons to believe they're behind all of this, at the very least, the funding and creation of Hezbollah and Hamas, therefore X, Y, and Z. That, to me, would be an effective address. I don't think he's going to do that. What about Dan Senor, former foreign policy advisor of the Bush administration, author of The Genius of Israel, coming out in a couple of weeks? Dan, you know communications. What do you think is going to be in that speech tonight uh, from the Oval? Uh, I think the president is recognizing that public opinion right now is extremely high in the United States for support of Israel. Again, as I've said earlier, not Despite the protests. Despite the protests, the reality is most Americans, the overwhelming majority of Americans, look at the forces of barbarism and the forces of civilization, and they say, we're on the side of the forces of civilization. Right. And that's why you're seeing high 70s, 80s percent of, of Americans across the ideological spectrum saying we stand with Israel. So most, how about this? It, almost 80 percent of Republicans anyway. Right. And now it's over 50, almost 60 percent of Democrats, up 17 points since the attack October 7th. I don't know what, was, what the Democratic Party was been doing. but Right. And so I think it was a wake-up call. And and uh, look, you know, we've seen this before, Brian, in in um, two in about about a decade ago when ISIS was on the move, America's role in the Middle East was in the decline. Yeah. And overwhelming. You look at the polls. Should America be involved in the Middle, Middle East? Overwhelming majority of Americans, not 60, 63, 64 percent said America should should reduce its presence in the Middle East. And then you remember it was in 2013 or 2014 those two hostages were beheaded by ISIS. Remember, they videoed it and they broadcast Jumpsuit. it. Right. One was Australian. One was uh, an American reporter. And uh, public opinion flipped overnight. Majority of Americans said, we need a presence in the Middle East. We shouldn't be bailing out of Iraq and these other places so quickly. I think when Americans see that kind of barbarism, they know they know mm-hmm. we need to be engaged in the world and they know whose side we need to be on. And the president needs to channel that. The president needs to express that America is engaged in the world. It's engaged in the Middle East. We've got to stand by our allies mm-hmm. and we've got to confront the nucleus and the architect of the of the of the barbarism. And as you said, that is Iran. And he has to say that tonight. He's been reluctant to say it. he has. He's not. He's, he's not said it at all. He's barely mentioned. He, I don't think he's mentioned the word Iran and he's hinted at it. You know, he's discouraged other parties from getting involved or capitalizing mm-hmm. on this moment. He's speaking about Iran, not just Iran, but he's been speaking about Iran. But uh, yeah, I, he I look once he once he talks about Iran, it does commit the U.S. in a sense to to being much more involved than I think the president wants to be. Right, and you have to think about yourself: Is there a scenario where the next day after a successful invasion, without the Israelis occupying, where this doesn't become a terror den again? If Iran's allowed to continue to fund these terror networks, if if Israel does real damage to Hamas and even does real damage to Hezbollah, but the Iranian regime is still intact and untouched, these terror groups will rise to fight again. I mean, that's just the reality in the near term, not in the long term. Right. In the near term, because Iran's presence there, and does it bother you, Dan, as somebody who really understands global politics? At the same time, China's got over a hundred nations in a conference for the Belt and Road Program, where they give extor- you know they give out loans yeah. that people can't pay back, and projects that probably won't be effective. But the Belt and Road Program in China looks like they're in charge. Yeah, it, it is. Uh, look and look what China's done in the Middle East. China's tried to raise its presence in the Middle East too for this reason because they they sniff American weakness. Right, and it's, people are tired of it. They want to worry about home, but you can't. 
It's right. going to come home. Right. What, what happens in the Middle East doesn't stay in the Middle East. All right, Dan. Thanks so much. Uh, go out and pick up his book. You the can Miracle pre-order it. Israel. Genius of Israel. Thank you. From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Mark Thiessen is standing by. Governor Chris Sununu, too. It's going to be a great hour. I'll talk a little bit more about 2024. As you know, and I think you understand, I think you like, we're focusing a lot on the Israel war, about the the air attack now is happening in uh, Gaza, overdue, and Hezbollah continuing to duel at the border. I'm watching some footage now put out by the IDF of uh, incoming and outgoing missile strikes on the northern border of uh, of uh, Israel. And you heard the debate in a previous hour on the Thursday edition with Dan Senor, and he says his sources tell him within the war cabinet in Israel, they're debating on whether just to, you know, let's go at Hezbollah. Should we get this over with? Because if if we now have this such a horrific attack, it's united the country in such a way, and for the sober world that isn't blindly um, caught up in these religious wars, they know what's happening. They know Israel's got to respond. They know Hamas and Hezbollah are no are no uh, patron saints of Saudi Arabia, of Jordan, of Egypt, of UAE, of Qatar, of Bahrain. Nobody loves these guys. So maybe this is the moment that you take you take them both on at one time. And that's the big debate now. And I know the downsides to it, been, and the word is buildings will fall in Tel Aviv if you're fighting Hezbollah. But how much worse will it be if you wait five years? And who's the big problem? It's Iran. So let's go to Mark Thiessen right now. Mark Thiessen from the Washington Post, Fox News contributor. Mark, we have a lot to talk about, but I do like you to outline. The president's going to speak today from the Oval Office. I know you were complimentary on the trip uh, and the president going back and forth. How do you think, do you think the president was effective in handling the the kiss off by Egypt, Jordan, and the Palestinian Authority? No, not at all. I, I think, uh, quite frankly, it was embarrassing uh, that uh, that they canceled the uh, canceled the visits with him. Uh, but I mean, there's nothing he could do at that at that point. But I'll tell you, he needs to he needs to st- he needs to step up his game a little bit. I think I think I think he's been he's been supportive of Israel, uh, and that's great. And I know that the Israelis are appreciative of it. American Jews are appreciative of it. But there's a lot more that he needs to say. I think he needs to s- send this clear message to Iran tonight. And again, I've written a bunch of these speeches from the Oval Office before. Uh, so I know what I would write for him. I don't know if he'd listen to me. But send a strong message. You know, he keeps saying to Iran, don't. Well, they did. <laughs> of Iran, course. Hamas is an Iranian proxy. Uh, they, all, their, all their funding. Oh, all I have their, to correct you, Mark. I have to correct you. Been... He never said Iran don't. He said others. Yeah. Who might... Just say the name. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So what, what he should say tonight is Iran has, has, through its proxies, has killed dozens of Americans and, and, and has taken Americans hostage. I hold Iran responsible for the lives of every American hostage held by Hamas. If Hamas harms a single hair on the head of a single American, Iran will pay the price. And he doesn't have to be specific about what that means. But we all know what happened when uh, when when Iran uh, killed an American under Donald Trump. He killed Qasem Soleimani. Not, you know, I think the message should be privately, been back channels, that every time an American dies at Iran's hands, a Quds Force commander will die as well. Um, and that should be the strong message. I also we think already lost 29 people, you know. Explicitly. I think I don't have to tell Mark I mean, yeah. 
That, yeah, no, 100 percent. I mean, it should, they should already be paying a price. But but I think that the reasonable thing that he could do now is say, touch another American. I'm, re, I'm reiterating the, the, the Trump red line. If you kill an American through one of your proxies, I will not hold the proxy responsible. I'll hold you responsible and you will pay the price. Um, and uh, and that's what Trump did. And I think that was the right thing to do. He also needs to get behind Iran's war, I mean, Israel's war aim. Which is it's good. It's it's great that he says Israel has the right to defend itself. But what he, what Israel has said is its objective is to destroy Hamas. That is the same goal the United States had, by the way, when we came to ISIS. And so we should endorse that war. The goal is not just to beat back Hamas. The goal is not just to exact revenge. It is to destroy Hamas as a political entity and and drive it out of uh, out of Gaza and make sure that they are no longer in charge there. And the, and the, and that it, that that aim should be uh, should be third. And then the third thing he needs to say tonight, he needs to have a message to American Jews because American Jews are reeling right now from these anti anti Semitic protests that are happening all across the country. And you know, Joe Biden was a very, very explicit in condemning the far right anti Semitic march in Charlottesville. And he now has to be equally explicit with all the far right anti-Semitic marches that are taking place on university campuses, that, the, that he needs to make clear that this is that anti-Semitism on the right and anti-Semitism on the left are equally unacceptable. And he needs to police his own party because this anti-Semitism is not just you know, the difference between right wing anti-Semitism and left wing anti-Semitism is right wing anti-Semitism is a fringe movement. The people in Charlottesville were not members of Congress. You've got mem Democratic members of Congress marching in these anti-Semitic rallies right now. And he needs to police his own movement. It is an elite movement when it comes to when it comes to the Democratic Party and the left. It's happening on American universities and the most elite universities in the country. It's happening on, in the halls of Congress. It's happening in the media. It exists in the media and the left wing media, which is excusing Hamas's actions and attacking Israel. He needs to confront his own movement, police his own movement, and and say that this is unacceptable, and 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 make a clear statement that he stands with American Jews against anti-Semitism. That would be nice. Uh, I think he'll do that. I would not be surprised if he did that. What I would love to be surprised at what he's going to do. Yeah, what he's going to do is he's going to he for, praise him for it. Right, and I know you just did. You 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 cheered the speech. Uh, you cheered the trip. I personally believe that, especially when it emerged about the hospital, that it was not them. They provided video evidence. They provided the intercepts of Islamic Jihad saying, what did you hit? We're in the cemetery. You just hit a building. My goodness, well, how did we do that? And when it turns out they clearly was not an airstrike, then you call up King Abdullah and say, listen, I understand you're a little hot under the collar, but you're wrong. They did nothing wrong. You know what the attack is. I'm coming to the region. We give you $5 billion just for exhaling. You're going to meet with me. And Al Sisi, you're going to do it too. Are you going to lose your two billion dollars? I mean, and then Fatah movement. We basically provide protection for this guy, this 82 year old loser, Yasser Arafat wannabe, who is totally ineffective and let the West Bank go to hell and Hamas dominate. 14 percent approval rating, and you're not going to go see an American president. I mean, at least someone else bring that hammer down. Yeah, I think that the message to them should be: here's the, here's the deal. If you don't, if you don't, it should have been. If you don't meet with me. And you don't and you don't back us here, uh, then the money we're giving you, we're going to give to Israel and, and Ukraine instead. 
Because be... we were actually, we actually want to support U.S. allies and pro-American, uh, pro-American countries. And the other thing he needs to do tonight is really draw a moral distinction between Hamas, civilian casualties at the hands of Hamas, and civilian casualties at the hands of Israel. Because it, there, they, these, this moral equivalence that's happening right now is outrageous. Hamas, there's a difference between Hamas coming in and targeting homes, raping, you know, t- taking. They literally, they took a pregnant woman cut her open, stabbed her child, and then shot her in the head. You know, they're burning people alive. That is far different from a situation where Israel warns Hamas, warns is it Palestinian civilians to get out, that we're strike. They, they literally send text messages to people saying, we are going to strike this building in an hour, get out. They send, they send dummy, dumb bombs to hit the top of the building to let them know that yes. there's a real bomb coming shortly. And to get them out, they go to extraordinary measures. And it's Hamas that is forcing them to stay. It's Hamas that is setting up roadblocks and preventing Palestinian civilians from escaping. They want those civilians to die. Those civilians are Hamas casualties as well. And he needs to draw a moral distinction between those two things. These are not the same. And call out the media, by the way. I still haven't seen a correction from the New York Times where they showed they showed Israel strike kills 500 people. One, not Israel. Two, not 500 people. And by the way, they showed a picture that was supposed that looked like it was the hospital that wasn't the hospital. I mean, this is—you know—he needs to call out the media for their for their for for the way they're handling this he, and he, reporting, you know, Palestinian uh, radical propaganda. Uh, he'd be right to take what you just said and make it his speech, and it's going to be very hard to push back I'll against that. I'll write it that. for him. I've got—I'm free this afternoon. Well, you are a speechwriter, so Rashid Tlaib. I, I, I know, I know, the, I know my way cool. around the West Wing. I'd be happy to go over there and spend the day and help him out if he wants. All right, and if you can find out me. whose cocaine it was, <laughs> if, if, you, if you don't exactly. mind. Uh, by the way, this just and came in. for Commander. Yes. Uh, yeah, Commander's <laughs> gone, thankfully. Uh, by the way, uh, this just in. Uh, Jordan will not seek a third speaker vote, allowing the House to empower interim speaker uh, Patrick McHenry. So the man that was yeah, put there by great. Kevin McCarthy, by, by McCarthy, not voted on, who's third in the power to be president, will now be the speaker? Well, hold on. Here's I'm, I'm, I, have, I have no problem with that. So here's the thing. They, this was this position of speaker pro tem was created after 9-11 as a continuity of government measure, right, to make sure that the government was able to function if something happened, if there was a terrorist attack, the speaker was killed or something like that. So by definition, continuity, it's not continuity of government if he doesn't have any power. I mean, when the, if the president is killed and the vice president assumes the presidency, okay. he assumes the powers of the president. But this isn't a tragedy so or an attack. Thing. This is and just then, ineptness. And then... Yeah, but then and I agree it's ineptness, but the ineptness started with with taking they got rid of a perfectly good speaker. <laughs> you know that's where the ineptness started. I'm not I'm not worried about that. So you know if if Matt Gates doesn't want Patrick McHenry to be the speaker for the rest of this congressional term, then get his ass. Then you know let's let's uh, let's uh, get his, get his ass out of line and get and let uh, let us let them elect a speaker that has the uh, support of uh, everybody. So here's, uh and and by the way, there's certain people that are just not going to budge. And Jim Jordan evidently had his surrogates out there pounding people to vote for him. You saw that in, you saw that one text message to the wife of one of these congressmen saying your your husband's career is over if they don't vote for Jim Jordan. I mean, who came well, up with that idea? Because it's stupid. It, 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 the idea, first of all, you know, the threatening people with votes and strong arming. That doesn't. Ever, no, no member is going to turn around and say, "Oh yeah, I'm going to make you speaker and give you actual power over me." You know, and let's tell me which committees I'm allowed to be on and all the rest of it. Nobody's going to give him that power if he behaves that way. Uh, so, you know, and again, this this is all – what I'm seeing here, which is actually heartening to some extent, is that there are some members of the House 
reasonable Reagan Republicans who are turning around and saying, you know what, if Matt Gates and his band of uh, his band of knuckleheads are going to be are going to terrorize our caucus and, and do that, we're going to fight fire with fire. And we're not going to let them bully us uh, as well. And so I'm glad that there's a there's a, a dozen or so Republicans who are willing to stand up to the and not let the right. Matt Gates of the world run the House of Representatives. Well, they have to they have to feel the embarrassment. And by the way, just to expand on it, Jordan is dropping his bid is is dropping his bid for the for the, the time being. But he remains the speaker designee and will reserve the option to hold a speaker vote at any time. Senior Democrats are supportive of this plan. In fact, Josh Gottheimer was on last night. He's a member of the Problem Solvers Caucus on Special Report. Here's what he said to this move. Cut 37. I think for uh, for uh, pro- extending the pro temp and, and Patrick McHenry and making sure that he has the power he needs to be able to run the House properly, I think it's just getting the country back to work. That would be what I require, to actually address the, make sure there's not another shutdown because that's brutal the country, right? To make sure we get resources to Israel and Ukraine, right? To me, and make sure we deliver things for the country and for people here, right? That, that is, you know, like that to me is my requirement is we get back to work. So the thing is, what if these eight got together and go, nope, that's not what I want to do? Will Democrats step up and just, just overwhelm, overwhelmingly vote? And will they want something in return for doing it? Well, I don't think you negotiate with them, first of all. Um, second of all, you know, they, they, they want to get Ukraine aid passed, which is a pre- with the president's priority. Do you want a speaker who can do that or not? That's, that's, what, you give, that's what, you're, what you give them. The majority of Republicans, the majority of the House wants to pass Ukraine aid. The majority of the Senate wants to pass aid to Ukraine and Israel and, and Taiwan uh, and all the rest of it. So, you know, that's what you get. You get, you get uh, a speaker who can, who can enact the bipartisan, uh, bipartisan will of the House and the Senate. Um, you don't get anything else, number one. Number two, I, th- I think this is fine because now it puts the pressure on if they don't want Speaker McHenry, then it puts the pressure on them to uh, to come around and negotiate and have somebody that everyone can have consensus around. They, Matt Gates doesn't get to run the House of Representatives. I'm sorry, nobody elected him Speaker. He th- he thinks that he's like the de facto Speaker because because morons like him drove our majority down to just just to just four votes by by because that that wing of the party elected nominated so many unelectable people and lost so many winnable races. That's why we have a four vote majority in the, in the house right now. And they should be rewarded with that by having, uh, by having the power to dictate how the house is run as a result. Uh, okay, here we go. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Uh, they say, I mean, people were digging in on Jordan because of his heavy hand. I don't think they had a problem with the fact that I'm not saying you saying this, but I don't think they had the problem with that, that he was uh, a member of the Freedom Caucus. I don't think they had a problem with the fact that he uh, supported Trump to the end and, the, and he had problems with the election. Uh, all that stuff I don't think mattered. Do you? For Republicans. I don't know. It, 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 it probably varies by member. You know, there's probably some who did have a problem with that. So, so think about this. You know, there, there, is no, there is no political cost to Matt Gates for bringing down uh, for bringing down, nope. uh, you know, uh, Speaker McCarthy, there is a political cost for some of these moderates who are running in, Bi- in Biden districts for voting for Jim Jordan. You know that that's 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 not a that's not a clean vote for them. Um, you know they're they're going to get attacked for 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 backing a speaker who is an election you know they'll say is an election denier uh, and all the rest of that. that that could hurt them. And you know the reality is if we if those you know 13 or so Democrats who are in Biden districts they call them the Biden 13 I think if they don't win right. we lose the house. So, so you, you know, w- there is a price for voting for somebody like Jordan for those for those reasons. So Jack Lew wants to be 
uh, wants to be the ambassador to Israel. You wrote d- distinctly why he should not be. Here's a little of the exchange yeah. yesterday uh, with Ted Cruz. Cut 16. You advocated for U.N. Resolution 2334, which declared much of Israel illegally occupied territory, including the, the Jewish quarter in Jerusalem and the Western Wall. Do you believe the Jewish quarter and the Western Wall are illegally occupied territory? Senator, I, I uh, do not uh, believe that, that it is illegally occupied territory. Then why did you support a U.N. resolution I, saying that it is? It was a U.N. resolution that all the parties had to agree to that was negotiated to take out. There you go. Uh, that's just a little of it. Just real quick, 20 seconds on why he shouldn't get it. It's that, that in alone is disqualifying. But what is disqualifying is that Treasury Secretary, and this is what I wrote in my column uh, in the Washington Post, that he helped Iran try to avoid U.S. banking sanctions and lied to Congress about it. Mark I mean, Teese, yeah. You know, Mark, what, what self-respecting member of Congress will vote for that? Uh, you shouldn't. Uh, Mark Thiessen, thanks so much. Look up his column in the Washington Post. He writes about it in great detail. We'll come back with your calls. A uh, lot going on, Mark. Thank, uh, so thanks so much for putting it in perspective. Back in a moment. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I really encourage the media to stop talking about the Gaza health ministry. That's the Hamas health ministry. Um, that, that, that's who's reporting this. And it, the purpose of putting that out there is not just to demonize Israel. It's to inflame the streets in Jordan, in Lebanon, in the broader Arab and Muslim world. Um, it's all part of an informational strategy as well, which, which threatens uh, to spread this conflict beyond just the armed conflict to some real internal problems in a number of countries in the region. Uh, this, he's so small. I was just saying that this guy's perspective is so good, Rubio. And, and him and Trump get along. If Trump wins, he should, be, he should be tapped. Lindsey Graham, Marco Rubio, get back Pompeo, Robert O'Brien, Stephen Miller. Uh, you get some quality in there. Just quick thing, uh, Teddy and Booker T is coming out November 7th. I just want to inform everybody, uh, we could do a live stage show. We talk about how America got great on stage. It is a lot of fun. I'm, I'm scheduled to go to Red Bank, New Jersey, November 9th at the Vogel, the Villages, of course, just signing books. I'll be a Ponte Vedra uh, with WOKV and with Mark Kay and uh, Rich Jones. And then check me out, too, because I'm also going to be in Michigan. I'm going to be... And Pittsburgh, and where else am I going to be? Oh, yeah, Alabama, Tennessee, signing uh, Teddy and Booker T. You're going to love the story. I can't wait to meet you in person. BrianKillMe.com. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Did you find Vivi receptive to the humanitarian argument you made? And yes. Was, was there any pushback from him or you felt that we no. would get across that? Well, we've had a number of discussions on this. It's not, not new. Look, I don't know what you picked up in Israel, but I got no pushback. Virtually none. Let me say it again. I got no pushback. Well, I, okay, I heard it the first time. I'm really not deaf, but I would love him to speak up. Uh, Joe Biden, who whispered his way through the press conference, but he showed up and people in Israel are happy. And in his, he was sitting in the war meeting with the 
I guess their version of a situation room. I, I, I'm not comfortable with that. I would just have too much respect for a country to go do that. But having and I'm not saying he does he disrespects him, but how it would be perceived. So number one, number two, telling them I'm going to give a hundred million dollars of aid to Gaza, and I'm gonna if Hamas gets it, I'm gonna cut it off. Does you understand what exactly is going on here? Hamas wins the popular vote in the area, and maybe they're the thugs and everyone's afraid of. Regardless, give them stuff. Do not give them money. And to me, if the Israelis know this, and if he doesn't know this, we're really lo- we're really lost. With me right now is Governor Chris Sununu. He's he's not running for re-election, but still a power broker in New Hampshire and respected throughout the party. Governor, welcome back. Oh, thank you, Brian. How you doing? I'm doing good. Uh, first off, I know good. you signed this letter the president put out there to stand up and support, pledge of steadfast support for uh, for Israel. There was still hesitation with you. No, no, definitely no, not at all. Look, um, Israel is our ally. They're kind of the rock that allows America to maintain a, a strong presence in that region. Um, uh, they've stood with us. We need to stand with them unequivocally. This isn't this isn't some political dispute. This is nothing territorial. This is murderous monsters, uh, terrorists that are that uh, you know went in and, and just murdered and butchered families. And so there's there's just no equivocation of that. We just need to make sure that the administration understands. You know, not to listen to members of their own party who who want to equivocate, who want to, you know, to, you know, effectively make excuses um, and and you know, call for you know peaceful resolution on both sides and all this. Look, Israel was attacked. We need to stand with our allies. Period. End of story. Listen, and it was a brutal attack. And I understand. Uh, them, I don't really. I couldn't tell you the streets of Gaza. I know how dense it is. Two point one million in a twenty five. Uh, uh, 25 mile by five mile uh, area of the of the world. I get it, and I see going south. I understand it. Getting aid trucks in there, I support it. But besides that, I would not be writing a hundred million dollar check. Would you? This is our money. No, there's no real plan here either. It's uh, we're going to write a hundred million dollar check, but. To your point, logistically, how do you do it? Hamas controls the region. Hamas is the government. Hamas controls everything. So, you know, there's, there's no sense of where those dollars are going to go. How, how do we be assured that they're not, you know, being funged and, and moved around and supporting these these monsters? So there's no way to do it. And that's where Jordan and, and Egypt and these uh, uh, Qatar uh, even need to step up and be those intermediaries to help. Yeah provide if they want to provide relief they've supported hamas in that area before they should be doing it now that that's on them our job is to support our allies in israel right and governor how important is it and especially with you you know you would be with your dad's chief of staff while you were growing up and your brother was governor uh and then how long you've been doing this job how important is it to have a plan for the day after i was talking to general petraeus was on with me for an hour and between talking on and off air and tv and radio he was just talking about the need to have a plan. They didn't have it in Iraq. They learned from that. He was a two-star at the time. He would ask people, what's next? They go, let's just win. And now, to, do you need it if you're Israel right now before you go into Gaza? You always need an exit strategy. In, in, in all governments and all through history, the, the biggest problems are laid out when you, you rush to something. Uh, and you want to take action, and the action might be perfectly justified, but you always need to have this pre-planned out in terms of the exit strategy, uh, a la Afghanistan, right? Last time I checked, that didn't go so well, and it, it went actually horrible, and Americans lost their lives. So even, you know, countries like America have really screwed this thing up. Uh, and so, no, you always need the exit strategy. You always need the game plan. You always need plan B, C, and D, and be able to pivot, provide flexibility in what you're doing. That's just 
good planning, whether it's on the military aspects or just good government, right? You always need to know what, uh, you know, plan out what your contingencies are. So hopefully they're, they're doing that. I think Jordan canceling the, the meetings with Biden were one of the biggest problems I've seen this, this whole mess. And I understand that the hospital blast, you had all the misinformation coming from that. I mean, you had, you had right here in America, you had the New York Times and the AP reporting that, that Israel had, had blown up a hospital when it turns out that wasn't true. So misinformation leads to a lot of, has a domino effect in a lot of other problems. But meeting with Jordan, talking to Egypt, making sure those meetings happen would help lay the, the ideas and opportunities for exit strategies and contingencies, but that's not happening anymore. And we just have a president saying he's going to cut a big check to, to who knows who, right, and where the money's going to go. So, you know, this stuff has to be followed through, and that's where I just don't I don't think the administration is on their A game on this one. I I don't think they're off, but they're not. You got to give 120 percent. You got to have contingencies, even when when Jordan mm-hmm. says we're canceling. You can't just accept that, right? There's too much at stake. And we um, give and them too to much money. We give them to we just write them checks for nothing in return for not and, attacking and, and Israel. And the, and the, and the uh, checks are all over the place, by the way, all the different organizations who these organizations are run by, who's you know, yeah. who they're influenced by. Is it going to humanitarian aid? Is it going to militaristic operations? Is it going to digging tunnels? I mean, we it's so once right. the money goes over there, it's virtually impossible to say that you have a good accounting. Right. Jordan in Egypt. I was talking specifically, but I just want you to hear a little bit from the foreign minister. This is what we're up against. Jordan knows that Israel didn't do this. They knew that it wasn't an airstrike. If they didn't know initially, they knew immediately. They were able to provide the intercepts of these Islamic Jihad uh, uh, clowns going back and forth going, you know, did you just hit a hospital? I'm in the cemetery. Oh, my goodness, you hit a hospital. So cut 19. As you know, President Biden, the U.S., they take the position that this was not an Israeli strike, but the result of other Palestinian militants. Do you believe that to be the case? Sir, uh, nobody's buying that, that narrative in this part of the world. Uh, uh, the, the, uh, in reality, the Israeli army is, not, army is not very credible in this part of the world as well. The only way that people would entertain a different narrative is if there is an independent international inquiry. Really? So this guy's read into some of the leading intelligence from our Pentagon. They heard our president. He's not buying it. You know, the, the most disappointing part is that typically Jordan has been a fairly reliable sure. source of information and ally for, for the United States. Jordan has always been someone that we lean on and go to. Uh, to be a great intermediary. You know, Israel and Hamas can't start negotiating. That's never going to happen. Those aren't going are, to, those talks aren't going to, going to happen. So if there's any talks to be had, if there's any reason to be put to this thing, you need the, the Jordanians, you need the Egyptians to be the voice of reason. And, and again, them not acknowledging the, the realities of some of these horrors, uh, just provide a lot of other insecurity on all the, all the, the forthcoming discussions. So it's, um, it's a domino effect going in the wrong direction right now. Um, I mean, we'll see where it plays out, but this is we're in for the long haul here. And then, you know, we haven't even brought up Iran in this conversation. I mean, that's just looming out there. It's not going away. They're the drivers behind a lot of this, behind the funding, behind the organization. Um, they're what effectively empower these monsters to do what they do because they feel like ultimately they'll be backed by, you know, giant regimes. And why? Because they now have access to their money because the Biden administration has let uh, Iran get access to all of their oil money. Their, their, you know, holdings have gone from whatever right. it is, four or five billion to 70, 80 billion, uh, just increasing. And that can all be now funded and, you know, used any which way that Iran wants. And none of it is in America's interest. Uh, Governor Sununu, our guest, and we're, he better mention Iran tonight in this speech where he's wasting our time. 
Uh, uh, we found out, just going to share this information with the audience if you're just tuning in, Jim Jordan's not trying another round. So far, they're going to get behind having Patrick McHenry be the, the temporary speaker to be able to get legislation going. And Jordan said he's not giving up. He's just not going to do it again. Your quick reaction was, I want to get you on 2024, too. Yeah, look, we, we got to we, – they, they got to – if McHenry is, is the answer, then that's the answer. They got to have an answer. And, and I've been supportive. I was supportive – very supportive of McCarthy until the idiot eight got involved and tried to blow that up. They're the ones that really created this cascading problem. I got behind Scalise when the – uh, when the you know the conference got behind him, we got behind Jordan when the conference got behind him. So they need leadership, and this is the real problem, if I may, for the Republican Party. The average Republican right now looks at DC; they don't even know what the problem is. Nobody really understands that the intricate details of what's happening. So not only is there a crisis of leadership in Washington for the Republican Party, they can't explain it to the rest of the, of America. So we look broken, and, and this is the real the the, the long term problem. Independence won't come along mm-hmm. with us. Whether you're in a school board race, a governor's seat, or running for president, if you don't get independence galvanizing with you're not winning, right? Because you don't win without those guys. So right. by showing a fracture and not being able to explain it, it shows um, it doesn't give any confidence right. to independence to get on board with our ticket. It's unbelievable. These, these guys do politicians for a living, politics for a living. Uh, they oh. don't understand that there are moderates, there are conservatives, there are liberals, there are far. They don't understand that there's different districts where it takes to get a majority. I mean, it, do the, they ever the have system, social studies? This, if I may, the system's been designed so they don't have to care anymore. Gerrymandering has been primaried by uh, ultra extremists. Um, you have no term you, limits, yeah. which you should have term limits to, to put some more uh, independent in. You know, uh, Governor, the you go. Finance reform has to happen. Yeah, you yeah, go. You go finance in. reform. I oh, understand sorry. it was it all compound yeah. to leave people in their safe districts, but I just also thought they wanted power and may have influence. But Governor, I got to talk about twenty twenty four. It looks as though the big stories today is Mike Pence is six hundred thousand dollars in debt. Uh, it looks as though he's having trouble registering, and Governor Christie zero debt, uh, working hard to get on the stage again. Um, we have Senator Tim Scott as donors holding off for him. Because they want to see him make a move, and Governor DeSantis has tapped out some of his big donors. Governor Haley seems to have momentum, but still trailing Trump by 40 points. How do you see this race? Well, the race is playing out the way it should, and that these are all great candidates, but the field is naturally narrowing down for a variety of reasons. It'll be interesting to see. I think the third debate is going to be really impactful, because there's only going to be, I think, four, maybe five candidates on that stage tops. They're going to have more airtime. They're going to have more time to interact. And that's going to be a stronger message of what they're about and what they're really going to bring to the table. Um, I think this is an, there'll be a lot of folks on the ballot in Iowa and New Hampshire. But the key is that 98 percent of the votes go to the top three or four. Uh, and then as you go into the, the uh, uh, Super Tuesday, and we have till then, if, it's, if you get that to a one-on-one race, then the Republican Party really has an opportunity to move forward. And look, Trump had some good policies. He had some good ideas. I'm not this big anti-Trump guy. His foreign policy looks, forward. yeah, his foreign policy yeah, looks just, better every day. Oh, well, without a doubt. But we just a lot of these other candidates carry those same same foreign policy ideals, and they carry the, the the right ideals for America's domestic policy. But as opposed to Trump, they can fulfill on them. Right? We need a balanced budget. We need fiscal discipline. We don't just want to talk about it. We mm-hmm. need to actually bring it to the table. And I think as more and more people get engaged, kind of post to Thanksgiving. That's when about a third of the Republican base will really decide who they're voting for. Still plenty of time for movement, whether it's Nikki Haley, DeSantis, some of these others potentially. Um, Mm. But to your point, 
the realities of their campaigns, the restrictions on those campaigns are coming to bear, whether they be financial or just not great polling numbers. So there's a, a, a natural narrowing of the field happening, and that's a good thing for the whole process. Yeah, I, I just think that when, it, when you see the president wrestling with the wall now, uh, then when you see what's happening with Israel and you think who is stronger on Israel, then when you think that uh, who is stronger on China, when you think about the guy that wanted to build up defense and, and be tougher on Iran, if the president, the former president is smart and he has pretty good political instincts, he'll just stop talking about 2020 and will just say, this is what That's I right. did. This is what I'll do. And if he That's did right. that, it would be tough. Nikki Haley's been really strong. And, but my problem is I like all these guys. They're all talented. They're all friends. Yeah, they're all great people. They're all incredibly talented. Look, Nikki's campaign has come on really strong, especially here in New Hampshire. Um, her, her debate performances have been gritty. They've been tough. They've been clear. She's uh, I think if anything, I think there was a campaign in the early spring that looked stagnant and now looks completely energized. And, uh, you know, DeSantis is holding his own as well. I'm going to be with Ron next week here in New Hampshire doing a lot of retail politics with him as well. Now, I haven't endorsed anyone. I'm, I'm just trying to help them all be the best retail politicians they can be. I believe if you're a good retail politician, can look someone in the eye, yep. that means you're going to carry that same type of mentality into the White House. So we'll, we'll see what all bears out. But I, I, I feel very optimistic the Republican mm. Party still has a chance to be in great shape as we come through the presidential. And, Governor, I hope whoever, if a Republican wins, I hope they tap you to do something uh, because you're way too talented and way too conversant in this stuff and knowledgeable to sit on the sidelines. Although I know you probably nah, want to buy your ski resort and go hang out <laughs> with your down with to, your down vest. I, I don't know if I want to be leashed. I like being unleashed. I like knowing I'm not running for anything. I can just <laughs> speak my mind, do what I want, use a couple F-bombs when I have to, and not worry about putting anyone in a tough position. <laughs> All right, that's right. It sounds like my life. So that, that's how I do it. So I, I'll enjoy it. Governor, thanks so much. Governor Chris Nunu, Governor of New Hampshire, thank you. Thank you, buddy. Be good. When we come back, I see about nine phone calls up there. I'm going to do the best I can to get to it. Don't move. It's Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. President Xi and President Putin. I mean, clearly the Russians know the Middle East very, very well. The Chinese less so. But what they're doing is they're sitting on the sidelines, uh, signaling their support for the Palestinians, not completely backing away from Israel, but, but very clearly signaling their support, calling for a ceasefire. Why are they doing that? Well, you know, clearly they have security and economic interests in, in the, the Arab world. Uh, just look at, for example, uh, Russia's relationship with OPEC. But uh, on top of that, they also see an opportunity to double down on the message that they've been trying to kind of spread around the world in, in, over these years, which is the decline of the U.S. So Putin yesterday, just yesterday, trying to claim that the U.S. giving weapons to Ukraine uh, will prolong the agony in, Ukra- in Ukraine. That's what Putin said. The same kind of message with Israel. You know, the U.S. supporting Israel just makes everything worse. Uh, so to understand what, the, what Russia and China are trying to do here, e- even mm-hmm. if plainly we don't, agree with it. That is Keir Simmons, bright guy. He's on another network, chief intelligence correspondent. Uh, we're going to talk to Josh Rogan on the next edition of, uh, for the Washington Post, uh, on the next edition of the Brian Kilmeade Show, just about that, what China was up to, but we're focused on the Middle East. John in California. Hey, John. 
morning. Good morning, Brian. Hey, I wanted to talk about the $89 billion we spend on intelligence every year and the lack of intelligence that we have. They missed Afghanistan. If it was up to our country, they would have abandoned Ukraine in the first week of the war, and now they're missing Israel. And then the one other point, I think back when Russia, Iran, and China were getting cozied up. They have a plan. They're executing it right now. And watch out for China in the future to to achieve their military uh, objectives uh, before this president leaves office. Hopefully in 2024. I mean, there's a theory out there that they, they Hamas did meet with Lavrov in Russia to try to get us distracted from Ukraine. But Ukrainians aren't getting distracted. Just the world is pulling away from that a little bit. I don't think it's really hurting the fight. But then China coordinating with Russia, gets us focused on the Middle East. What did we say two weeks ago? We were saying that the new focus is going to be the Pacific. And now what are we doing? Three aircraft carriers in the Persian Gulf heading over. Most of our Navy's heading over there. This would be their opportunity to capitalize. Julie, listening on FM News Talk 97.1. Julie. Hey, Brian. Hey, in about 30 days, we are facing another government shutdown, and we cannot coalesce around any speaker. I am predicting a Democrat will be elected speaker because any day people are going to start shrieking about needing to fund the government. You can hear it already, can't no, you? Pat, it looks like they're going to push Julie to Patrick McHenry as Jordan but drops they, out temporarily. But do we have the votes? I think they do. Some people are still trying to avenge. Some people are still trying to avenge Kevin McCarthy and are still supporting him. I know, but you know what I'm hearing? They'll do it, and it looks like some of the problem solvers will get behind it. So you're right. I can't rule it out. I'm not going to predict it, but Julie, that is a worry of mine too. But I can never see even the most moderate Republican going for Hakeem Jeffries. Brian Kilmeade. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table to Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.